I should have mentioned at the outset that we had a string quartet today. Uh, and thank you so much. <laughs> I, you know, I, I give you credit for being that observant. Uh, and if you're vi visiting, uh, you, you may not have known. That's a real special treat, a really, really special treat. And we're grateful they've been here um, today. Well, the message this morning comes from Matthew chapter 1. Verses 18 to 25, if you want to turn there, Matthew 1, 18 to 25, it's page 807 of the church Bibles. If you need one of those, under the seat in front of you somewhere, you should see a little black hardback book. Those are the Bibles, and uh, you'll find it on page 807. And as you're turning, you may also want to find John chapter 3. I'll make reference there um, as well during the sermon, and so you can mark that spot. You know, there's a reason why we talk about uh, during Advent every year and mentioned at the, at the outset of Advent, there's a reason why um, there's a season in uh, the church year traditionally that anticipates Christmas, that we don't, we don't launch into ho, ho, ho um, after, you know, Halloween uh, or whatever, or, or even right after Christmas, that there's a season um, that marks a period of awaiting the arrival of Jesus, of longing for him, of needing him to come. And so the, the, much of the music we sing in Advent has that sort of tone to it of, of a, a little bit of sadness, a little bit of heaviness that is ready to burst forth with resounding joy at the arrival um, of Jesus on Christmas. And, and that's right, we're right on the eve of that and when we come to the fourth Sunday in Advent. And there are lots of themes uh, that we attach to that Christmas season, that celebratory season. Many of them are focused on just a baby and uh, the birth of a baby to uh, a poor young couple. But Christmas is more than a birthday celebration for Jesus in the way that we think of birthday celebrations. I mean, we don't put it on the list there with, you know, other national figures or whatever, other important people in history. It's not just that kind of birthday. It marks the day that our liberator arrived to deliver us out of captivity. That all of that, all of that longing, all of that heaviness that we're talking about, that is a season for us that was a lifetime for the people of Israel who were literally in captivity to Babylon. It's, it's a, a, a day of intense rejoicing when the liberator arrives to deliver us out of captivity. Well, that's the topic of this morning's message from Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. I hope you found it. Uh, let's stand. Um, in honor of the reading of God's Word, and just to give most careful attention to what he has to say there uh, for us in the Scripture. The words are on the screen, beginning of verse 18, reading out of the English Standard Version. Listen to the Word of the Lord. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. 
When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he, he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, we do thank you for the living and true word that you have spoken in the scriptures. And we, we acknowledge, Lord, that to a darkened heart of a natural man, Lord, that it can be a dead letter to us. It can be just words on a page. We've experienced them that way before. But it is, in reality, truth that you have spoken, what you've revealed about yourself and about us to mankind. And God, we pray that today you would cause it to come alive to us. Make it live to us today, Lord unveil the eyes of our understanding to see and understand truth, maybe in ways we haven't before. But God, would you speak to us today according to the needs you know we have and the, the ways that you want to minister to them. So we ask you to speak, O oh Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory because all of our worship and even our very lives are yours and yours alone. We ask it in Christ's name, amen. And you may be seated. <clears throat> One of the emphases of Matthew's gospel is that he aims to show that Jesus was the Messiah promised in Old Testament prophecy. And you may, if you've been a student of the Bible at all, uh, you know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke in particular um, are written from a very similar viewpoint. They tell a really similar story, but they also all have uh, their distinctive features to them, if you will, characteristics. And one of them in Matthew is that he uh, almost goes out of his way. He is very intentional about demonstrating that Jesus is the Messiah that was promised in Old Testament prophecy. And so he frequently says, like, says things like, this was done that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. And then he goes on to quote a prophecy. The first of those mentions um, is right here in verse 23, where he references Isaiah 7:14. You saw it there in verse 23, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means... God with us. Matthew does lots of this and begins with it right here out of the gate. So this whole birth narrative that Matthew provides 
is offered in order to show us that Jesus was born of a virgin and that he was God with us. You tracking with me so far? That's the purpose of it is the reason he starts his gospel or at least the primary reason he starts his gospel with a birth narrative and does it in the way that he does it is to show Jesus uh, was this child born of a virgin who is God with us as the scriptures promised in Isaiah. And that's why he tells us that uh, while Mary was betrothed or pledged to Joseph, she turned up pregnant. Uh, Brian Slater preached last week and mentioned that betrothal was something more binding or something more serious than engagements uh, of our day. Um, so it, it was kind of a done deal. Uh, the, the marriage hadn't been um, completed or whatever yet, but they were fully committed to each other. And while they were betrothed, Mary turns up pregnant. You can imagine how that might be concerning if you were Joseph. And as we learned last week, uh, Mary had been told by an angel before she ever got pregnant that she was going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I don't know if she had that conversation with Joseph, but that it would have been an awkward conversation, I would imagine. But, uh, but whether they had or not, he... He wasn't convinced by it because he's ready here to find a way to put her away quietly. He says he's a just man. He doesn't want to, uh, he, he, he wants to, to do this in the least dishonoring way that he can. But he intends to put her away and divorce her quietly, it says. And in the midst of that, an angel comes to him separately and says, don't be afraid of taking her as your wife the child she has, she's conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so what unfolds there, Joseph learns that she's pregnant with the Messiah, who is God's child and indeed God with us. And so upon hearing that, he agreed uh, that he would obey what the angel commanded, it says, and stay with Mary. But of, of all of what's stated and implied here by, uh, by the angel, and there's a whole lot we could unpack um, in all of that. In fact, I'll be back in this passage for a, a real short message on Christmas Eve. But this morning, I want to zero in on one basic truth that really ought to frame the way we think about Christmas. Of, again, of all the themes um, that can color Christmas for us, and they're all wonderful, and I love all of them. But of all the themes um, that could color Christmas, probably the one that ought to frame it always, I, I alluded to earlier, and it's this. At Christmas, we celebrate the day that Jesus arrived to save us. At Christmas, we celebrate the day Jesus arrived to save us. And that's, that's the one point. If you're taking notes, one point right there. That's it. And you can just scribble all the rest down. At Christmas, we celebrate the day that Jesus arrived to save us. Verse 21 says, as, he's, uh, as the, the angel is enlightening Joseph about the situation and giving him a little bit of instructions, he says, she'll, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save people from their sins. 
The name Jesus actually means God saves or God is salvation. Um, it's sort of a, 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 a Greek translation or a translation from the Greek, I guess, of, of what would have been the Old Testament name Joshua. It's that same name, the same name. God saves, God is salvation. In other words, they were to give him a name that was loaded with meaning. In fact, I would suggest it was loaded with more meaning than they could even comprehend of all that was contained in the fact that he would save people from their sins. But this is just wonderfully good news. And see, the thing is, if we who sort of live in evangelical Christian circles, we talk about saving and salvation so frequently that the word almost loses its, its meaning, its significance to us. It, it become, in other words, it's got sort of a, a Christianized meaning to us. And we, we kind of lose appreciation for, for all that's contained there. That's some of what I want to try to uncover here today. But he came to save, not to condemn. That's good news. That's good news. It was good news for me. <laughs> he could still find reason to condemn me. But we, we read elsewhere that people are condemned already. The judgment will come for that later as well. And we were reminded briefly of that by John the Baptist a couple of weeks ago. He, he said that the Christ who would come after him has a winnowing fork in his hand. He will gather his wheat into his barn. The chaff will be burned with an unquenchable fire. It's a picture from the outset, recovering some pictures from the Old Testament, that there is to be a final judgment But his first appearance was made in order to save people from that judgment. And I'll just say parenthetically, I know lots of people uh, want a Jesus and a Christianity without the judgment part, but you can't have it. I mean, the Bible doesn't offer that. But that's ultimate. He arrived at Christmas in order to save not to condemn. And, and John 3, 16 through 18 fleshes this out. I, that's, I'd made reference that you could maybe mark that spot. Um, if you wanted to, you, you can either scramble to turn there or just follow along and look at it later. But we remember John three sixteen. Um, if you've ever memorized John, uh, um, Bible verses, you memorized John three sixteen, right? Which says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But it goes on from there to say in verses 17 and 18, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then verse 18 doesn't get as much recitation. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So this is part of the message, that we stand condemned. It's just our inheritance. There's nothing you need to do to confirm that status. It's just the one you got. It's sort of like if you, you, know, you get one of those letters or emails that says, there's been a change on your account. Um, if this is correct, there's nothing you need to do. If it's not correct, then please call us, you know, whatever. Okay. We stand condemned 
already. There's nothing we need to do to confirm that status. And, and nothing we can do to deny that status, even though it's part of the whole history and pattern of humanity to try to deny it. To see all kinds of fault in other people, but not ourselves, etc. But see, Jesus has done something to change that status. He came to earth on a rescue mission, clothed in humanity, lived the full life of a human from, from cradle to grave. Even though he, he went to the grave sooner uh, than, than the average person as a young man, but he stayed in the grave a whole lot shorter time than everybody else. And on the third day, he rose again. He overcame the power of death, conquered that power, and, and carried on himself the penalty of our sin. He came and changed our status, or at least for those who would be um, named by his name and identify with him. He, he came to save, not to condemn. And so I want to provide a, a kind of an extended illustration because as I said, we, I think we lose our appreciation for what, it, what he really did here, the whole, the whole overarching narrative of the Bible and what it means that he came to save. And a particularly his arrival at Christmas and what that represented in that whole overarching story. Many of you will remember during the first Persian Gulf War, it was called Operation Desert Storm, uh, the, the U.S. Armed Forces airdropped leaflets into Iraq. So some of us were, were just fixed to the news at, at that time, right? They were broadcasting some of it live, and they had, um, after that, you know, updates that were provided by the Pentagon and that sort of thing. But... Uh, they, they airdropped leaflets into Iraq. Now, this is after they have just bombed the daylights out of them for days and days and days. I mean, just demoralized um, the Iraqi army. And then they dropped leaflets in that assured them destruction was coming, but also explained to them how they could surrender. Uh, some of those leaflets, one, one of those leaflets was made to look like money um, so that it would be attractive enough to pick up. And then on the back of it, it had this message. It was printed in Arabic, but it's been translated into English. Here was the message on those leaflets. You do not have to die. You can be safe and return to your family if you cease resistance. You must follow these steps strictly. Remove the magazine from your weapon. Sling your weapon over your left shoulder with the muzzle down. Raise your arms above your head. Approach positions slowly. Hold this pass in your hand above your head. This pass meaning this, this leaflet that you're picking up and reading. Hold this pass in one of those hands that's raised over your head. If you do this, you will not die. You will be treated well and return someday to your family. And then there was a note that said, beware of minefields 
along the border. But you can just imagine some of those Iraqi soldiers saying, well, why should there be only one way to surrender? You know, why should you tell me how to surrender? Who are you to tell me? I can take care of myself. Or, or, or even more, more realistically, there were some, presumably in so many words, saying they're, they're not really going to attack. It's just a scare tactic. They're just, it's just an air war. They're just going to bomb us. They're not really going to come in on the, on the ground. Or they're not as powerful as they're making out to be. The, the reason they're doing this is because their army isn't as great as our army. Just hang tough. We're going to be okay. There was some kind of conversation like that going on because when the invasion happened, indeed, many did surrender, but many refused to surrender. And again, there was footage of that, the kind of scrambling that went on. It was, it was horrible at how utterly overwhelming the force of the U.S. and allied forces were um, on that occasion. So there's, a, there's an announcement, in other words. Destruction is coming, but you don't have to be destroyed. Follow these steps strictly, and you will live. Now imagine further if we not only dropped leaflets in, but if we, if we airdropped special operations units in and actually showed them, led them out to surrender. And we did drop some special operations units in ahead of the invasion, but not for that purpose. But imagine, in other words, that there's this announcement that it's coming. Destruction is coming. You don't have to be destroyed. And then airdropping people in who would actually lead them to surrender. That's really a picture of what Jesus did in what we call the incarnation. And that's a, that's a pretty good picture, or at least a helpful one. It's a, it's a helpful analogy. That God himself put on flesh and dropped into enemy territory in the dark of night and almost totally unnoticed at first. Does this part of the Christmas story ever grip you? That, that this defining event in all of human history happened one night and almost everybody missed it. At least as far as what's told to us in the scriptures. You've got the shepherds that hear the announcement from the angels, right? They go that night. You've got the, the wise men that come from afar following the star. They learn about it. But otherwise, you've got the savior of the universe who's born in the dark of night, and before too long, his family is fleeing into Egypt to escape Herod's assault. And then from there, you know, resurfaces in Nazareth and, and doesn't really, we don't really hear anything about him much until he's uh, a boy at the temple, and then, uh, and then after that when he's an adult. God put on flesh, dropped into enemy territory, in order to lead people to surrender. The very one who would ultimately come to judge came first to save. That's the picture. That's the picture of salvation 
And that's why Christmas is such an appropriate occasion for, for rejoicing and singing and ringing bells and springing good, uh, spreading good cheer, right? I mean, it's, you, you think about the, 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 the especially military victories and how they're attended with the ringing of bells and rejoicing and throwing hats in the air and ticker tape parades and all that kind of stuff. Now, that victory really is better represented at Easter uh, than Christmas, but the arrival of the one who would certainly achieve that victory is marked at Christmas. In other words, the message is, he's here. He said he would come, and he came. He's here. He has arrived, and everything's going to be okay. Even all while it looks like it's not okay. Even when by every human measure, things still aren't okay. It's going to be because he's arrived. And so let's, let's recall just briefly how that story had even unfolded of his, of his coming to rescue his people. You know, God the king had established what we might call a province, a distant city called earth. And he populated it with humans and made them to be rulers over that province co-ruling with him. They ruled under him, but sort of on his behalf as well. And the enemy deceived and manipulated his way into power. Now, promising that it was going to be good, just enough to lure them into the deal, seizes power, and everything is wrecked by it, and it goes from bad to worse. It actually uh, sounds like a tale of a, of a communist dictatorship, actually. I mean, some of these, you could fill in the blank of how these things go, uh, where somebody deceives people into thinking, you know, you're not being treated fairly. I've got a better plan for you. And after they've signed on to the deal, it just, it, they spread misery for generations. And that, that's sort of what the story of the Bible is, is that a usurper deceived his way into power and wrecked everything. And what's worse is that he made mankind part of his rebellion. You see, to one degree or another, every, every human being, through our own sin, became enemies of God. I've mentioned this before, and we often do, we don't think of ourselves this way, um, but we, we all became enemies and, and stand subject to judgment as a result. And, and meanwhile, all of creation fell into disrepair. So everything's wrecked. It's not like it's all as bad as it could be by any stretch of the imagination. But none of it's as good as it ought to be. None of it's as good as it's going to be. Because the story is that Jesus came to redeem and restore all of it. All of it. Everything that was broken and, and uh, just messed up and destroyed, ruined by the fall. He came to redeem all of it. It's not, in other words, just a message about um, how your sins can be forgiven so one day you'll go to heaven. Uh, that's, that is just a paltry understanding of what really the gospel is all about. All that was destroyed 
by the, the enemy and the fall that resulted from the sin of humanity is to be restored. So he, he didn't come just to be a coach to help you be a better you. Okay, that is not Jesus and that is not Christianity. He, he didn't come and die to be your life coach. He didn't come just to be a therapist when you need one. He didn't come just to make us feel better in the dumpster of our sin. He came to take us out of the dump. And then, ultimately, to make the dump into a luxury resort. See, that's the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom of what is to be restored. And so, ring the bells, right? And sing with joy because Christmas is when we stop and remember that our liberator has arrived. And you know what? There's lots about this world that still is a dump, right? It's not a luxury resort right now. But I've got my wagon hitched to the architect who has plans to restore all of it. As I've said before, I don't have a plan B. That's it. But that's a real good plan A. And, and likely there are here some this morning who don't, who don't know Jesus in that way. So it says he came to save his people from their sins. And you're not sure if you are his. Jesus said his sheep know his voice. Like he's the good shepherd and his sheep know his voice. And you've never known his voice. I mean, you really know. You don't, you don't know him in any respect. But maybe this morning you've heard it and probably not audibly, uh, maybe not even in words. But see, this is, the, this is the way God works, by his spirit. There, there, there is sometimes, is not, many times, not rhyme or reason to it. There's just an awakening that goes on inside of people. What's been veiled in their understanding before, all of a sudden they see, see clearly. What they've never heard before, all of a sudden they're hearing. They don't even know what it was. They don't know why they didn't understand it before because it seems so simple. And, and maybe that's true of somebody today, just knowing Jesus, Jesus came to save his people from their sins. He did that by clothing himself like you and I, living the life that you and I live, full of all of its struggles and that kind of thing, and yet without sin. And as a sinless human died as a sacrifice for all sinful humans, that all those who would just trust in his provision, his sacrifice, could be forgiven also. Maybe that resonates for the first time ever, but he sends a message. He sends a message in the scriptures 
uh, with, with more love, with more love than any person can express or really even understand. But it's a message much like those leaflets airdropped in the desert. You do not have to die. You can be saved if you cease resistance. But you must follow these steps strictly. Lay down your weapons, as it were. Your, your, your self-interest, your self-indulgence, all of the things that aid you in your rebellion against God, all the things that aid you in making you king instead of him, to make you the object of other people's worship and the center of their lives instead of him. Lay it down. Surrender entirely to him. Ask for his forgiveness. Trust in him alone. Grab a hold of the hem of his garment and follow him. And the message is, if you do this, you will not die. John 3.16 says, you will have eternal life. You will be treated well, better than you could ever imagine. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this glorious gift given to us. On that day that we now call Christmas, that we, we celebrate as Christmas, that at that day in history was for almost everybody around them just an ordinary day. We thank you, Lord, that we have come to know by what unfolded in history and by what you have done for us entirely by your grace, we have come to know of the great gift that that was to us. So we thank you for it, Lord. God, I pray that there would be some that today would be the day you would just remove a veil from their eyes. Lord, what has kept the truth clouded to them would be clear and that they would respond to you in just a simple surrendered faith and trust, not knowing what lies beyond that, but wanting it, whatever it is. God, would you lead people to yourself today? And for many others, Lord, who do know Jesus, but whose relationship with him has grown a little cool, a little bit distant, who uh, have become preoccupied with lots of other things in life. I pray you would renew, restore the joy of your salvation as we understand what it means that you came into our world. You entered into our problems in order to save us from our sins. Lord, would you lead us by your spirit to respond in whatever way we need to respond and be glorified in every person here. In the name of Jesus, amen.